Well, it was supposed to be a night of celebration. But the longer the boys sat with their master, the weirder it became. He was saying all kinds of things that just didn't make sense to them. It even seemed like he was trying to chase one of them away. And so imagine the relief when finally he said, let's go. So they all stood up and they left and and the master led the group of 11 through the dark streets to a place that only he knew. He hadn't told them where they were going. And after what seemed like a quiet eternity, he stopped and he turned and he gazed at the man-made homage to God. And as his words echoed off the, the golden grapes and vines that adorned Herod's temple, larger than a man, the disciples heard him say these words, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Well, every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. You did not chose me, (coughs) but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so whatever you ask, <clears throat> and so whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. We've been looking through these verses in John 15. And we have a sense that there's uh, quite a few things here that the disciples knew that, that maybe haven't been readily apparent to us. Um, surely the, the disciples understood that the job of the vine was to get the necessary nutrients to the branches so that they could grow. Those, those disciples, maybe like or unlike some of us, had probably, as younger boys, been swatted by, by dead grape branches that aren't really good for anything except for swatting the backsides of naughty boys and being burned in the fire. Uh, we have a sense that they had seen a gardener or a vine dresser at work, they'd seen the passion that a vine keeper has for his vineyard, for the branches, for the fruit, and the tender care that, uh, that saturates everything the gardener does so that his branches will bear fruit. As we've looked into this teaching of Jesus, we've begun to understand that, that in this parable or this metaphor, Christians, those who follow Jesus Christ, who profess him as our Lord, we are the branches. And the only two jobs we have are to stay connected to the vine and to bear fruit. And we can't bear fruit unless we stay connected to the vine. And we've seen that there's times in life when uh, we're just not bearing fruit the way that God wants. 
And sometimes we're not bearing fruit because there's something in our life that is interfering with God's working in us and through us. And so in those times, we've seen that God's first step is to to lift us up and to clean us off, to change our perspective, to change our scenery, to clean off or out of us whatever it is that may be keeping us from bearing fruit. And if that doesn't work, we've said he continues to discipline us through spoken word, through increasing turmoil or discomfort or pain and If that doesn't work, then through severe pain. And that's all done by a gracious, loving, heavenly Father who has a perfect plan for us. And he disciplines us because he wants us to grow in holiness, because he wants us to bear fruit, because he wants us to be continuing to become more like Jesus. And any any point along the way as we're being disciplined by God, we can stop that discipline. If we'll repent of what's in our life and what we're doing wrong that's not pleasing to God, if we'll relent it, we'll stop doing it, and if we'll remove it, we'll do everything we can to cut it out of our lives so it doesn't grow back even stronger. These last two messages have been difficult. And I would say, including today's, they're not often why we come to church. We often come to church looking for encouragement and a a, a rah-rah, like a coach's speech in a locker room. Get me pumped up so I can go back out and have a good week. And sometimes that's the way the Holy Spirit works, but at other times, God speaks difficult truths. And these past couple weeks especially have been an example of that, Uh, um, it, was, it was difficult. It was hard to think through. And, and, and some people wrestled with this, this idea in verse 2 that, that where most of our versions say that he cuts off every branch that bears fruit. It was difficult to hear me suggesting that, that maybe a better translation was to lift up or to pick up off the ground. And I don't know. I may be wrong. I may be wrong about that. I mean, the truth is that there's scholars and biblical translators on both sides of that conversation, and it's all above my pay grade. So, I, I mean, I, I might be wrong. Um, but we struggled through that, and what does that mean? Um, last week, some of you seemed to be hearing me to say that, that any, any weakness or sickness or trouble or hardship in our lives is always the result of God's discipline, And that's not at all the case. That's not even biblical. I mean, we could go to Scripture and we could look at someone like Job or or like Joseph and see examples of men who clearly were following God the best they knew how and yet still endured hardship and trial and, and in the end were judged to have not been at fault. And so discipline, I mean, hardship and pain and suffering isn't always a sign of God's discipline. But sometimes it is. And again, we have biblical examples of Miriam and the wandering nation of Israel. And even in the New Testament, we could think about Ananias and Sapphira, people who clearly were at violate, violating God's known will. And so God did introduce suffering and hardship and trials in order to correct them. And, and so it can go both ways. And so what I'd like to do today is to pick up where we left, left off and in verse 2 and see if we can clear up some of the questions about the hardship and the struggles in life. 
the reality is that for a lot of us in here, I hope and pray, God's work in our life isn't about moving us from bearing no fruit to some fruit, but rather his work in our life is moving us from bearing some fruit to bearing much fruit. Jesus says, fruit that will last. And, uh, and, and maybe you can relate to this. There's times in life when it seems like we are pleasing God, when it seems like we are bearing fruit. And, and when we read the scripture, it's like it, 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 something inside of us comes alive and, and we can see ourselves changing. We can see our priorities changing and the way we spend our time and, and the things that are important to us. And we have a sense that God is working in us, stirring up passions that maybe it's been a long time since we've felt or that we've, we've never felt. We, it just seems like God's revealing himself in new ways and, and we're getting to know him in ways that we hadn't. Um, Perhaps we're taking steps to invite a more mature believer to speak into our lives, or, or maybe we're the more mature believer, and we're, we're actually looking around uh, for others, for younger believers in whom we can invest and speak into their lives with the goal of helping them grow in Jesus. Maybe you've been engaging in new ways in service and finding out ways to get involved and, and ways to help. Or maybe you're looking for opportunities to impact your coworkers or your neighbors or your unsaved friends and family members. And, and just when it seems like things are going well and you're doing everything the right way, something happens. And it hurts. And it doesn't make sense. And why in the world would God do that when I've been so faithful and I've even seen him working. I would suggest that that's the second half of verse 2. Let's read the second half in green off of the screen, please. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. The first half of the verse talks about what happens when we're not bearing fruit, when we, when we say we're a follower of Jesus Christ, but, but we're not. And we've talked about that over the course of the last couple weeks. And, and so today I would suggest that there's times in our life when we experience some pain, some hardship, God working in our lives in ways that we don't understand, that, that make us uncomfortable, that hurt, but it's not because we're doing anything wrong. It's because we're doing something right and we are bearing fruit, but God would like for us to bear more fruit. So let's take a couple minutes today and let's talk about this idea of pruning. Let's talk about pruning. I've got a few questions written out there in your notes that we just want to walk through, just kind of some basic things, understanding what pruning is. I think the first question there is who experiences pruning. Now, we want to make sure that we stay in the text to answer these questions. And so look back at the second half of verse 2 and let's answer that question together. Who experiences pruning? What's it say? We could, yeah, well, <laughs> the screen says all Christians. Thank you. What's the verse say? Let's put that verse back up, Don. Every branch that does bear fruit he prunes. And so the focus or what we need to understand as followers of Christ is that when our lives are pleasing to God, we are going to experience pruning. 
That doesn't mean that God's upset with us. It doesn't necessarily mean that we've done something wrong. It means that when the gardener, the father, looks at us, he says, I see fruit, and there can be more fruit. Let's remove some things from your life that are diverting sap, focus, energy from, uh, from the growth that could be so that you can bear more fruit. And I sometimes wish we didn't think like this, but I have a hunch that I'm not the only one who does. Have you ever looked around at other believers and said, man, I wish I could, I, I, I wish I could bear as much fruit as they do. I wish I could teach a Sunday school class like they do or lead a small group like they do or, or, or I wish when I prayed, it would, it would seem like God listens to me like he does listen to them when they pray. Or I wish I could speak to someone and, and share the, my experience with Jesus as clearly as they can. I, I, I hope you guys don't do that, but I know the tendency is to look at others and compare ourselves to them and to wish we could be as spiritual and mature as they are. Nine times out of ten, do you know how they got there? They were pruned. They've probably gone through painful times where they had to give up things that they held on to, where God pulled things out of their lives that we're keeping them from becoming who we wanted them to be. The reality is that as we look around and see other people who we measure to be more spiritual or more mature, what it probably means is that they've been pruned more. They've faced hard times and they've leaned into their father and they've allowed him to grow them the way that he wants to. So who gets pruned? Well, any Christian who's in Christ and desiring to please God. And, and who actually does the pruning? And this one's tricky. Because when hard times come into our lives, we, um, <laughs> I hate to say it, but we have a tendency to blame everyone but the person who's actually doing it. Uh, we blame other people. Uh, we, if we're super spiritual, we, we blame the enemy or Satan or the devil. But again, Jesus is pretty clear here in verse 2 that it's God who does the pruning. It's the vine dresser, the gardener, who is our heavenly father. Now, God may use different tools to prune you. And, and just like when we talked about discipline, the truth remains here, that sometimes God's pruning comes through avenues we wouldn't expect. It can even come through people who aren't necessarily followers of Jesus Christ as they interact with us in a way that, that cuts off or brings out of us, draws out of us things that, that God's saying are in the way of our growth. But ultimately, we understand that when we're facing hard times and if we're looking to grow, it's God who's doing that, who's working in us. So uh, what is pruning? Let's just think about a, a, garden and what, a gardener or a vineyard. Why does a gardener prune? What does that look like? What do you do when you prune? This is where you can talk back to me. You cut off. What do you cut off? Dead stuff? Yeah, dead stuff. Is dead stuff the only thing you cut off? Weeds? Okay, yeah, cut off weeds. Is there anything else that you might cut off when you prune? Do you ever cut off good growth so that you can have better growth in a specific area? I don't. When I cut, I just chop it all down and it's 
useless, but I'm, I'm looking for some people who actually know what they're doing. Well, well that, that's what pruning is. It's cutting off things that are keeping growth from happening. Those can be bad things, and sometimes they can be good things that are keeping better growth from happening. So when you think about that, what are some words that you might use to describe pruning in our own lives? Words that describe how it feels or looks. Just throw some out. Painful. Okay, redirecting. That's good. Ah, oh, this is tricky, isn't it? How about intentional? A good gardener doesn't just take his shears and start chopping away at stuff. I do that, but a good gardener doesn't. It's intentional. How about loving? Necessary. So how does God prune us? How does God work in our lives to prune us? I would suggest that he puts pressure on us to change our priorities or he just removes those priorities from our lives. He puts pressure on us to change our priorities, or he just works in us to remove those priorities from our life. I'd like to look at a few tactics that God uses to cause us to change our priorities. First of all, he redirects, good word, Todd, he redirects our primary resources. So when we think about a plant, the primary resource for growth is the sap. And so if we're thinking about us, it's the same kind of thing happening here. What is it that fuels us to growth? What are some of our primary resources that Scripture talks about? Uh, let's first talk about our time. When God needs to prune us, when he needs to redirect our primary resources, I believe one of the places he redirects is our time. And I'm convinced more and more in our day and age, it doesn't, doesn't necessarily matter to me what stage of life you're in, one of the biggest barriers for growth, for fruit in the life of the believer is hurry. We want it, and we want it yesterday. Like right now. Like I'm going to have it, and I'm going to work hard, and I'm going to go, 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 because the faster I go, the faster I may get what I want and what I think needs to happen. Several years ago here at Beulah, we were experimenting with the thing we came to call the gathering. And as I would talk with that group of people, I would regularly say something to the effect of, this is not going to be a dot-com venture. This is farming. This is slow agricultural work. We're not going to rush we're not moving fast. We're moving on purpose. And too many times I think we miss that in, the, in the, the Christian life. We want everything yesterday, and so we go as fast as we can. And sometimes our hurry, sometimes trying to cram 25 hours worth of activities into 24 hours isn't because we want everything. Sometimes it's because we want to avoid hearing God's voice. We think if we keep ourselves busy, we'll be acceptable to God. If we do more, then we'll be better off. Sometimes God's pruning work on our life is just to slow us down so that we can hear his voice, so that we can be still. The psalmist seems to indicate over and over again 
that the only way to hear God's voice is to be still and quiet and wait. It's not only our time that God needs to redirect, but also our talents. John and Vicki Simmons were my junior high Sunday school teachers, and I really don't remember a lot of what they did, what we did in junior high Sunday school class. But I remember one Sunday with extreme clarity. This particular Sunday, they didn't open the quarterly curriculum book and teach us as they usually did. And of course, as a junior higher, I found that extremely boring. I'm sure it was top-notch, grade A, but I found it boring. But this Sunday, instead of teaching from the curriculum book, they divided the class into two, and it was a pretty decent-sized class, and they said, what we're going to do today is a debate, and we're going to give you a topic, we're going uh, to you know, speak a hypothesis, if you will, and then each side of the class is going to debate it. One side was going to debate in agreement of the sentence or of the thought, the idea, and one side of the class was going to debate against it. Now, before I tell you what the statement was, I think you just need to know that I was on the team that was debating against the statement. So I was going to argue that the statement wasn't true. And you also need to know that because my team was led by me, and because of my incredible grasp on Scripture, and my depth of knowledge and wisdom, even as a junior higher, my team lost terribly. (laughs) You saw that coming, didn't you? Of course you did. You, you, you know your pastor. So, but here was the statement we had to argue this day as junior high students in Sunday school. God sometimes takes away from Christians the talents, abilities, and spiritual gifts he has given them. God sometimes takes away from Christians the talents, abilities, and spiritual gifts he has given them. And try as hard as we could, my team just could not come up with any way to say that that wasn't true. We couldn't find any argument that says once God has given us some talents, abilities, or spiritual gifts, that they're ours for life. And if you look back over your life, perhaps you can can see that that's true in your own life. That there's times where it seems like, I used to be really good at this and now I'm not. I used to be able to do that a whole lot better, and I can't. It seemed before, like when I did that, God worked through me in amazing ways, and I don't know why it's changed. I think it's because sometimes God prunes those things out of us. He takes away from us those gifts, those abilities, those talents he's given, maybe because we've grown too dependent on them. Maybe it's because we cherish the gift more than the giver. Maybe it's because he needs us to rely on him more so that we get more from the vine, more sap, more of what he needs for us to grow. He sometimes prunes our time, our talents, and and also our treasures. We don't like to think about this, but sometimes God turns off or down the money spigot because he wants to get our attention. Because he wants us to see that money and stuff and everything that comes along with that has taken his place on the throne of our lives. Because we've grown to depend too much on that, to to trust too much into what's in our bank account or the power and prestige that comes with it or the ability to make the decisions we want to make when we want to make them because we have the wealth to do it. Or the independence that comes along with not having to be worried about where the next meal is going to come from. And so sometimes when we refuse to live generously, God 
changes his generosity towards us with the hope that we'll again choose generosity. Sometimes we refuse to to regularly and intentionally thank God for the blessings he's given us, for his generosity in our life, and so so he slows it down. And uh, he works in us in a way that we'll stop asking, why are we giving all this money to the church? How can we afford to do that? So that we return to asking, how can we afford not to give back to God? One of the tactics God uses when he prunes us is to redirect our primary resources. I think another one is uh, he prompts us to examine our habits and behavior. He prompts us to examine our habits and behaviors. One of the privileges I have as a pastor is um, to be invited into people's lives at some of the most difficult junctures, and, and oftentimes that can be in a hospital. And when I'm invited to come and visit someone in a hospital room and to spend time talking and reading scripture and praying together, inevitably one of the things we discuss and or I pray for is that while the person is in the hospital, they would listen to what God wants to say to them. Because I believe when we're forced to slow down, when something comes into our life that puts us in a bed, in a room outside of our house, outside of what we're comfortable with, oftentimes God wants to speak to us in those times. That was cemented in me, I don't know, five or six years ago. Nine years ago now, my wife says, when my wife fell down the stairs at the home we were living in and messed up her ankle. And for like an eternity, eight weeks or something like that, she couldn't do anything but sit on our couch at home. I mean, she was allowed to get up and move around, but she couldn't cook food. She couldn't do laundry. Strict doctor's orders. She's not to move from the couch. Her foot needs to be elevated while it heals. And I remember talking with Sarah in the midst of that and as we got towards the end of it and were through it. And she said one of the things that God was talking to her about as she was on the couch, stuck, recovering from surgery, was that her habits and her rhythms and the way she was doing life were interfering with the work he wanted to do. She wasn't listening enough to her Heavenly Father. And so sometimes God stops us and he prompts us to examine our habits and behaviors. And when pain comes into our life, that's the first thing that we often do. What's wrong in my life? What caused this? What triggered this? What did I do that led to this? And if we'll ask that question of our Heavenly Father, he'll help us to see what he's pruning out of us, what habits or behaviors or rhythms he wants us to change. God also causes us to focus on our strengths instead of our weaknesses. And I'm going to say that again so that you know I didn't get it backwards. Part of God's pruning work, a tactic I believe he uses, is to cause us to focus on our strengths instead of our weaknesses. You see, so many times we have the sense that what we need to do to get better or to to be healthier or to grow more or or to bear more fruit is to look at our weaknesses and, and try to improve those, try to get better at those things, make them so we're not so weak at them. You know, lift some weights in whatever area that is, however that works. But I'm not sure that's always how God works. 
As a matter of fact, as we read the New Testament especially, we get this sense that God has created, can I use this verbiage, a cluster of good works for each of us. Specific things that he wants us to do. In Ephesians, Paul writes it like this, for we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And so if I'm understanding this right, if, if part of what Paul is saying here is that God has some specific good works for you, believer, and some good works for you, believer, and some good works for you, believer, then why would we get hung up on our weaknesses? Why would we spend all our time and energy trying to improve the things we're not good at? Hopefully, an all-knowing creator who created us knows full well what our weaknesses are and has created good works for us to do that would flow out of our strengths. And so I believe part of God's pruning work in us isn't always to improve our weaknesses, but sometimes to lean into our strengths, to be who we are, and to please him. One more tactic I want to mention is that God teaches us sometimes that no is often more helpful than yes. That no is often more helpful than yes. I'm not the first one to mention this. Others have written about this in both the secular and the Christian realm. But to say yes to the best things, you've got to say no to the good things. If we say yes to every good opportunity that comes across our path, there's going to come a day when we can't say yes to the best opportunity that comes across our path. So many of us are afraid to say no for a multitude of reasons. Sometimes God's pruning work in our life is to help us understand that, that no isn't a swear word. That it's okay to say no to opportunities and requests and to prayerfully discern from God what would be the best thing for us to do. God's pruning uh, pain and suffering that is introduced into our lives sometimes helps us to understand that I should have said no to some good things while I waited on the best thing. <clears throat> And so we have this sense from Scripture that pain or suffering or hardship isn't always the result of something bad happening in our life. It could actually come from good things and God saying, I want better things. And so I'm going to draw out, I'm going to cut off, I'm going to, I'm going to work in you, I'm going to redirect some things so that better things can happen in your life. Which, if you're thinking like me, makes you ask the question, so how do I know if, if the hardship, if the pain, if, if the things I'm struggling with, how do I know if that's God disciplining me or if that's God pruning me? How do I tell the difference? And so we have this, this little table that, that may help understand that, may help you understand that it's on your notes, and, and we're going to put it on the screen. So, um, so how, do we, how do I know if the pain is coming from discipline or pruning? Well, um, well, I would say go back to the Scripture. In verse 2 it says, He disciplines or cuts off or lifts up. He disciplines every branch in me that bears 
no fruit. And so if you're experiencing some pain or some struggle or some hardship that you don't like, and you're wondering, is this God disciplining me or is this God pruning me? The first question you got to ask is, is there something in my life that isn't pleasing to God? Is there some unconfessed sin that I haven't dealt with? Are there some habits, some, some patterns, some behaviors that, that I know violate the known will of God? Or are there things that I know I should be doing that I'm not doing? Because James, the book of James makes it clear, he who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, he sins. And so if you're asking, is this, this thing that I'm struggling with, is it God's discipline or is it God's pruning? First of all, ask, is there something in me that, that is offensive to God? And over the last couple of weeks, we've been asking that question. And last week, there were, there were people who responded to that question. And if that was you, and if God's, God was speaking to you last week and saying, there's something in your life that's displeasing to me, I want to say, don't give up. It's easy to, to go hard for a moment. It's easy to come to an altar or to, to call a friend or to call a pastor and say, God's speaking to me about something in my life that, that needs to stop and I need some help. And, and it's easy even to have the first conversation. I mean, it's easy in the grand scheme of things. It takes courage and it takes humility, but it's a whole lot easier than day after day getting after it. And so if God was working in your life last week and if you took some steps... My guess is that in the seven days since then, you've experienced some friction. And you may have been gung-ho at first, but, but maybe you've had some setbacks. Don't let those setbacks control you. Keep moving. Keep removing from your life what God says he wants to come out. But if you look at your life and you would say, I don't, I don't think there's anything displeasing to God. And I've asked God and, and I've talked to other believers and, and the people who know me best, I've asked them, do you see anything in me that's displeasing to God? And they've said, no, not really. Then maybe the struggle you're facing is pruning. Maybe because God prunes every branch that does bear fruit and because your heart is to please God, Maybe what God's doing is pruning. And so what do I do? If he's disciplining me, what do I do? If he's pruning me, what do I do? Let's go to the last two, last two rows of the table. If it's clear that God is disciplining you, then the best response is godly sorrow. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 7.10, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation, leaving no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. And so if God's saying, yes, there is something in you that is interfering with what I want to do, there's a sin, there's a habit, there's a pattern, the best thing you can do, we talked about last week, is to repent of it, to relent, and to remove it from your life. That's what godly sorrow is. But if that's not it, then chances are you're being pruned. And so you can breathe a sigh of relief. I mean, it's still painful and it's still hard. But at least it's God working in you because he's pleased with you. Because he sees fruit and he wants you to bear more fruit. Fruit that will last. Take joy in that. And pray and ask the Heavenly Father to help you open up your hands and release whatever it is that he's trying to take out of your life. 
Ask the Holy Spirit to give you eyes and ears and a heart that understands so that you're not fighting him on what he wants to take out. I think we've been sold a bill of goods as Christians in America. And we think that the best growth happens when we're comfortable and happy and things are going well. I'm not so sure that's the biblical prescription, though. I think God works best in our life when he's calling things out of us and helping us to grow and be more fruitful. When we face times of difficulty and hardship and trial and suffering, which none of us want to do, but at those times, perhaps that's when we grow the most because that's when it's clear that our Heavenly Father is working in us. This whole conversation about pruning is somewhat hypothetical today. And so what I'd like to do is invite you back next week and we're going to look at an actual story of someone being pruned and what that looked like and how God worked in their lives to bear fruit like they never would have imagined when it first started. I hope we'll be back next week, but for now, would you bow and pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, which reminds us that sometimes in life things get difficult, but that doesn't mean you're displeased with us necessarily. That you could be working in us because you see fruit and you want us to grow to be more fruitful. That our lives would bear fruit that would last and bring you much glory. Father, I want to thank you for the, my brothers and sisters here today. And as scary as it could be to ask, Father, would you continue to work in us to make us a people who bear fruit for your glory? Would you make us a church where others would look at us and interact with us and become part of us? Because they can look at us and they can see your goodness. They can taste your grace, your grace. Father, we thank you that you continue to work in us, that you continue to lead us through difficult times, growing us for your glory and our fruitfulness. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you please stand so we can bless one another? And uh, since we're brothers and sisters in Christ, why don't we bless each other? After I've pronounced the blessing, you can just say, and also to you, and, and uh, we'll bless each other in that way. <clears throat> May you be connected to the vine. May you release whatever God's tried to prune from your life. And may the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit give you peace. Amen. You're loved. Go with grace.